أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ولا welcome everybody to uh, the nothing but facts live stream we're back after having not having a live stream for a long time but uh, there's a reason and we got a new studio you might see it you might not but we're gonna show you all the pics later when it's a hundred percent we're now at our studio this is like a soft open of a restaurant so we're at ninety percent ready. But we have a gorgeous new studio. Pictures will be released of our studio uh, later on uh, when we're at 100%. But right now we're at 90% ready for our new studio. But anyway, this is not about studio. This is about trying to learn something and, and get close to Allah and and make use of our time here in the right way. And I'm going to speak to you about an ayah and about an individual. His name was Bal'am ibn Ba'awra. He's had an amazing story, which I talked about some while, but... There's so many different talks and so many different communities, so many different places that they're all mixed up in my head. I can't remember when I talked about it, whether in the live stream at the Jum'ah at MBIC or what have you. But it all comes from Surat Al-Araf, Surat number 175, uh, Ayah number 170, uh, 176. All right. Okay, this ayah is so heavy because it's a pretty scary ayah about a man who, he was special. Okay, He was special in the sight of Allah, and he lost all of it. So how was he special in the sight of Allah and lost all of it? Because it could happen to anybody. And it's really scary when you see shiuch or great people, and they lose everything. And these stories are so important that we have to make sure that we never fall into them. And you have to learn their lesson. So Ibn Abbas tells us about this. Ibn Abbas tells us that this man, this ayah had come down about a man who had a situation that no other person had before him. And his name was Bal'am ba, uh, Ibn Ba'ur or Bin Ba'awra. They differed on his name. But he was a man from a people called the Jabbarin. And these were a tribe that lived adjacent to the Bani Israel. And he became one of the best disciples of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam. Okay. So, وَرُوِي عَنْ عَلِي بْنَ أَبِي طَلْحَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ أَنْهُ كَانَ مِنَ الْكَنْعَانِيِينَ Some say he was a Canaanite, what have you. He wasn't from Bani Israel. wasn't, doesn't matter. Those are irrelevant details. However, Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, he sends this man after years of training, and he trains with Sayyidina Musa for years and years and years on end until he reaches a maqam in which he knew how to call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a way that Allah would answer all of his dua. So anything that this man said, his dua would be answered. Okay, So he knew al-ism, al-alam. And he was mujabid da'wah 100%. As he makes a dua for something, it happens. So Sayyidina Musa السلام, as a excellent disciple of his, he sends him to these people to go give them da'wah. And he's given them da'wah. Yeah. And as they try to resist the da'wah of Musa, they know if they resist, Musa is going to come by force. Okay. And he's going to be angry. And they know that they can't handle Musa himself. So what do they do is they start luring this young man and they said, and the king says, I'll marry you to my daughter. I have a beautiful daughter. I'll marry you to my daughter. And he starts rejecting it at first. Now, remember, the first, when you first get a wave of something, you always reject. But then 
you're going to get a second wave. The test is not just on the first wave. The test is on the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth wave. Once that thing starts pecking away at you. And so you have to remember that because we get tested on a matter one time is not really the big deal. It's when we get tested, uh, the second and third and fourth wave of something, our reaction starts to differ. First of all, you get tired of rejecting it. It's not easy for your body to be receiving a message and your mind to say, I'm rejecting it. Eventually, you're going to be tired of rejecting. So you're going to see it. You're just going to pass it by. And then eventually you're going to see it. And the question might start coming into your mind of, well, what if? What if we did this? What if we accepted? What if, What would life be like if this happened? So you have to really always wonder and worry. You got to worry about ideas that peck away at you. And this idea definitely pecked away at him. And he bought the daughter and he was so enamored with her beauty. Okay. That he married her and he accepted. And he said, I'll drop the dawah. I'll drop this invitation to the deen. All right. That Sayyidina Musa sent me with. And I'll take your daughter. Marry your daughter. Because he had never come near anyone as near as beautiful as her. Okay. So then uh, time passes and he's just living amongst them. And he's wise. He has wisdom. So he shares his wisdom. But he doesn't call them to, to, to Tawheed. He doesn't write letters back or send messages back to Sayyidina Musa. Now Sayyidina Musa is getting worried. Did they kill him? What happened? So he sends somebody. Sayyidina Musa sends somebody. And that person comes and they found, lo and behold, the guys changed sides. Sayyidina Musa, he's there. He's living happily. He's married to the daughter of the king. And he's a prince. And he's changed sides completely. And Sayyidina Musa said, all right, let's go. Bring the army. They bring out, Sayyidina Musa goes with his armies. And he gets there, and the people say to him, the king says to him, go make dua against Sayyidina Musa. And Sayyidina, uh, and he says, are you crazy? I'm not going to make, uh, you want to destroy me? I'm not going to make dua against a prophet. That's going to be my death sentence if I make dua against a prophet. And so uh, they continue to, to ask him again. They realize that this person he weakens over time. And the lesson on this person is, see, the thing is, we don't read these lessons just to look at them. Uh, these lessons are made so that we can realize what in ourselves do we have in that. And what in our environment is in the antagonist. You have a protagonist and an antagonist. So from the protagonist, where he ends up not being a good guy, uh, his end is not really good, is that he's somebody who's very strong at the moment. But then as time passes... He weakens. And the antagonist here is a group of people who they're, they're, what they ask is so ridiculous at the moment, but when they keep asking it, it starts settling in people's minds. And that's exactly how shaitan operates, is that it's something where you, you think is completely outlandish, but when it keeps pecking away at you and you keep going and keep going, they weaken. And how many people are like this when Certain things that you can't even say it. You get canceled off of Instagram and Twitter if you say these things, right? But if you go back only 20 years ago or 10 years ago and you suggested it to a Muslim, he would laugh. It was to be one of those things that every single Muslim agrees on. I mean, every single Muslim he used to be agrees on the Palestine issue, for example, right? You go now and all of a sudden some of this is controversial. SubhanAllah. I mean, the if you all remember the gorilla, what was it? What was that gorilla's name? Harambi? There's like ijma that killing Harambi was bad. 
And then all of a sudden, but when, when there's a war in Gaza, it's like, well, we need to discuss it because they also fired some missiles too, right? It's like, that's up for discussion now. Okay, so certain things start off uh, uh, as ijma, like there's there's a complete community-wide agreement. I'm saying ijma in a linguistic sense. There's community-wide agreement that there's no discussion on this subject. But give it time. And all of a sudden, the controversy, the thing that was completely no discussion, it's a controversy now. Or you can't even say it. Right? You can even in certain, there are some politically correct Islamic environments, right, where they care so much about being politically correct. You can't even say it. Certain things, just 20 years ago, we all agreed, every single Muslim agreed on. That's the lesson from this guy, this, this man. He, and no, it doesn't matter how pious you are or how pious you look. As time progresses, Iblis will peck away at you and peck away, and he will start eroding what was a guaranteed no-brainer. Okay, No discussion, no-brainer, absolute uh, agreement. That is starting to start to peck away at you, right? I mean, the idea, the obligation of believing in the prophet, peace be upon him. I remember a couple of years ago, that became like a controversy. That to be a Muslim, to be saved on the day of judgment, either you didn't hear about the prophet, peace be upon him, at all. If you never heard about Islam, the 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 aqidah in the Ash'ari school is that you're saved completely. You're forgiven of all your sins. The, the weak opinion goes by a hadith that says that they're tested on the day of judgment. But why the uh, ulama, they didn't take that is because it's an ahad hadith, which we has its value. But the, in the Quran, the day of judgment is not an abode of testing. And that, We don't punish anyone until we send a messenger. That's qat'i, the ahad hadith, has is dhani. So it's not going to override it. So the dominant opinion is that if you've never heard of Islam, whether it's after the time of the prophet or between prophets, you're completely forgiven. And if you're a murderer and a rapist and you did all these bad things, your punishment is in your heart, right? The, 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 the destruction that you've done to your fitrah, that's your punishment. Or your punishment is going to be maybe in the grave, you're going to find some discomfort and Allah knows best. But when they get to the day of judgment or they get to the day of judgment, they see all their sins chasing them in the form of wild beasts and animals because that's how it works. When you go in the day of judgment, your sins come chasing after you okay, in the form of wild beasts. And your good deeds are the ones who protect you. So you might have a good deed of a very weak army. That's your good deeds. So that's their punishment. But when they come to face the questioning and they stand in front of the divine court, they say, uh, we never got the message. So they're forgiven. Okay. They're all forgiven. Question says, so if someone heard of the prophet, peace be upon him, but didn't hear about him properly, can they be saved? The answer is, if they, now, now you, you ask the question of what's the threshold? The sh threshold is very simple that you heard that there is a claim of a last prophet from the creator, all right, and the, his name is Muhammad, his deen is called Islam, and he's representing God, and he's coming with a last message. That's it. After that, it's upon them to investigate. In the same way, if I tell you there's a fire in the building, okay, if that's all I tell you, and then you go and you fall into it, you can't blame me. You should have looked. You should have asked. I told you the bare minimum that I have to tell you. There's a fire in this building. Be very careful. Open your eyes. That's enough. Okay. So just telling them that there is something called the prophet, there is something called Islam, there is a creator, all right, and he has a message, that should be sufficient, and it's up to them to investigate. And Allah has made it all easy. You can investigate so easily. Okay. Now, Bal'am, 
what he did is he gives he gives in over time. That's his problem, and we have to ask ourselves if that's our problem. We have to ask ourselves if that's our problem. If we're a type of people that over time we give in to to whatever is whispered to us, and that's exactly what happens to many kids when they go to school. Uh, they hear something as freshmen, okay, and all of a sudden they reject it. But then over time, by the time second year, third year. It's 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 become normalized. There's a question. Yes. Yeah, so All right, go ahead. There's two questions I'll combine. Them, okay. How do we protect ourselves from going from strength to weakness slash not falling into absurd notions and commands? Uh -huh. What does it mean to be a principled human being in today's age? Okay, repeat the first one again. How do we protect ourselves from going from strength to weakness? Uh huh. And also from not falling into absurd absurd notions and commands. Okay. Uh, what do they ask them? What they mean by absurd notions and commands? But let me tell you about. The uh, concept here of how do we avoid what Balaam went through? Because Balaam's story goes on and he goes and every time he would raise his hands to make draw against Sayyidina Musa, his tongue wouldn't be able to bring the words out and he would end up making draw against his own people or the, the people that he joined. Until finally, uh, he felt a bird coming as if a bird coming out of his chest. And he said, that's it. That was my Amen. He lost everything, which brings us to the Aqidah question of can someone be a wali of Allah and lose it? And the answer is yes, you can lose wilaya. Only prophethood is gained, guaranteed, and never lost. But wilaya can be lost very easily. A person can lose wilaya. Same way there was a man, he became a companion. In the time of the prophet, peace be upon him, he apostated. He left Islam and he died as a Christian in, in Ethiopia. Okay. Another one became a companion, then joined the pagans again, joined Mecca again. Then after the death of the messenger, peace be upon him, uh, he became a Muslim again. So he's not a Sahabi. He's a Tabi. So he lost the, the status of Sahabi okay, and became a Tabi. So to the question of how do we avoid going from strength to weakness, the answer is very simple. It's fear it. Fear going to weakness. Now, Sayyidina Jibreel alayhi salam and Sayyidina Mikail, they were the companions of Iblis in paradise. They would keep his company. When Iblis had his collapse and he failed and he went down into the abyss, they were so shocked because you don't know that Iblis lived thousands of years on the earth and then hundreds of years in the heavens. He was a given. He was somebody that nobody uh, doubted his iman. And he had a collapse. And he became an enemy of, of the truth and an enemy of Allah. So what ends up happening is that Jibreel and Mikael are sitting and they're shaking from fear. Like the shock. Okay? The shock. And I remember this. I remember seeing some shiuch and, and, and du'at. And I still feel very bad for them, for what happened to them. They had a collapse. right? They collapsed pretty badly in front of everybody. And it's like you're you're shaking because you had an assumption, and you start doubting everything you know. Like you, you really start doubting everything you know about people. Okay, so saying, uh, saying Allah called up to Jibril and Mikael, and he said, "Why are you shaking like this?" They said, "We never expected that Iblis could have a collapse, so we fear for ourselves." Now, of course, angels never can collapse; they can never disobey Allah, but fearing collapse is like an act of worship and a sign of iman so so 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to them, and do you want to know what will save you? They said, yes. He said, stay afraid. Stay afraid and you will be saved. Okay. So this concept and this idea that we fear losing our blessings that, and the greatest blessing being Iman, that's the only way to keep it. We should always never assume. Some people say, oh, we've got to trust our kids. We got to, tr I don't even trust myself. Okay. Whenever a kid says, oh, you don't trust me. I don't, I don't trust my own nafs. Uh, 40 years as a Muslim, 20 years, I should say more than 20 years, taking it very seriously and studying. I don't trust my own nafs. And we should, never should. And Abu Bakr Siddiq, he taught us never to trust our own nafs. Okay. He said that about himself. If I have one foot in paradise and one foot outside, I still wouldn't trust myself. All right, question? Yeah, so she followed up mm -hmm. with the commands and notions. She said, when society or authority demands something which weakens one's faith, and then someone further asked about liberalism, if it's truly a threat, and if so, how do we protect children and family, not only ourselves? It is, a, a, this stuff is, is no joke. It totally is no joke. And uh, the question, I don't know if you guys could hear uh, the question or speaking, but it's no joke. Society's pushing stuff. Even laws are pushing stuff. And we Muslims may slowly be find ourselves edging more and more to the margin of society. Right. And there are certain things you just you, you, you capitulate that you cannot do them. Right. I mean, someone once said to me, well, given the rulings of Islam, the, the you know the given you know what we say about music, what we say about showing women, uh, displaying women, even show stuff about men, men and women touching. That means that that means a, a, there would never be a practicing Muslim director in Hollywood. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. There never will be, right? Because he's in order to make a movie that's going to get an award, you're going to have to do so many haram things, right? So. But so what? You think that this dean is without sacrifice? I mean, one of the things that you have to think about is uh, whatever happened to the idea of sacrifice? That the the the, the dean has not. Except there's certain things we'll never be able to do. So what? That's not even a big deal. There was a guy. You all heard of Henry the Eighth. He's the crazy British uh, king who killed all of his wives, right? Every time uh, his wife would give him a headache, he'd just kill her, right? He killed so many of his wives. Well, if you might have heard of like the Moore house or there was a guy named Thomas Moore. Now, Thomas Moore was a Catholic and he was basically refusing to, to, to submit to Henry VIII's insanity. I think it was Henry VIII, right? If not, maybe it's Henry Fourteenth. He was refusing to submit to his insanity. And he said, no, what you're doing is wrong. He got killed. He had like seven daughters or six daughters. He told them, girls, I've raised you on a religion in which we are ready to sacrifice our life for this religion. Now, this is really hard talk, right? It's really easy. Okay, Henry VIII. So uh, Thomas More says we, we're raised on the point that we could sacrifice we could lose our lives for this faith, let alone losing various privileges and whatever. And he ended up did get killed. And on the night before, he told his daughters, what did I? What have I been telling you? You shouldn't be surprised. I've been telling you, right? This is a faith. You could lose your life for this faith. 
and you'd be winning. You'd be gaining. You'd become a shaheed. And the shaheeds don't live in the same way that we live. And anyone who knows a shaheed, they don't live the same way we live. The shuhada and the martyrs, they live a different type of life than us. Their, their death is different. And they continue to gain sustenance after they die. Some people say Allah permits them to come back and whisper to people good things. All right, and you wonder why people do good things sometimes. Maybe a shaheed has whispered to them. Allah knows best if that's that's just like a saying. It's not something from the messenger, peace be upon him. But what we do know, the martyrs live a different type of life, right? And they're always alive. Then that's why we don't, their burial is not the same as anybody else's if they die in battle. Okay. And the Prophet said, most of the martyrs of my ummah are of this world, all right? In other, or, or sorry, are of the bed which means they dedicated their life to Allah. They just happened not to be a battle. And as a result, they count as martyrs, right? Let's see. I'm trying to get on to uh, the uh, Instagram here on my iPad in order to, to see your comments and your questions. How do I do that? do I do this? You know how to do this, Ryan? Um, I could go on myself. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can go on yourself and um, um, yeah, you can go on yourself and read me the, the, the oh, but you need, yeah, you can read me the QAs from there. Hey, hey, uh, uh, us, one more thing before you go. Unless you got class, can you get uh, onto um, find the Instagram live on the uh, right on the thing? So the summary of the story is Balaam ibn Ba'ura. He ends up losing his iman, and he said, "I felt a bird, a pigeon. It's as if a pigeon flew out of my chest, and I realized right there that's my iman." So they said, "Make du'a." He said, "It's gone. I've lost all the power." Right. I've lost all of it. Oh my gosh, did you see this question, Ryan? Read. <laughs> I don't know if she's joking or what. No, uh, he's not. <laughs> You'll see it later. Uh, we got two other questions. All right, let's hear them. Can the martyrs see us? Are they in the dunya, but in another realm? Uh, I believe that there's been a lot of situations where uh, the martyrs. They are involved uh, in interacting with people on this earth. They sell stories of Abdul Qadr. There should be a way. There should be a way, unless they change. Yeah, uh, unless they change. Uh, there, there are stories of Abdul Qadr al Jailani. There are stories of a lot of martyrs, right? That um, uh, that are helping people. They're continuing to help people. So Allah, Allah, Allah knows best. But the martyr, I mean, their life is completely different. All right, the, the, the way they live is completely different. All right, I got in. So let's go to the, the question box here. All right. All right, let's see. What did the question box say? Where's the question box here? In the meantime, we have another question. Let's hear it. Uh, we consider homeschooling as a way of protecting our kids? From all the attacks that you mentioned. A lot of people homeschool. The question about homeschooling, a lot of people homeschool. I don't really give much advice on schooling, except that they should be with Muslims. I don't, I mean, if you can, 
some people uh, they're living in Iowa and they're living in Delaware and they're living in these uh, states that that you don't even study after uh, you know middle school or elementary school, but and they live there and they're stuck. What can they do? But the key question is, I would not send my kids to and and Imarabat al Hajj even gave a fatwa of tahrim, tahrim of send of submitting children to non-believers for anything, for education, for what have you. So that's actually considered uh, a fatwa that people should think about. And that, uh, that to me, is the number one thing. What are they going to teach? And who are these people anyway, right? And in California, it turns out, they're all uh, like secretly trying to convince the kids to join the LGBT groups, right? So to me, uh, I would never send my kids to these strangers. Uh, uh and probably some of them are okay, but probably some of that. So whether it's homeschooling or whether it's uh, uh, it's a Muslim school, but to me the Muslim school has to be clean. A lot of these Muslim schools, it's it's really sad the situation. Like they're dirty, they're not clean. They're t- it's a terrible environment, and those things I would avoid because the kids are going to get depressed. So it's either homeschool or a good Muslim, uh, clean Islamic school. And as for the education, you can always fix that later some people are very picky about the nature of the education to me i always look at it that education is reading and writing and math right i mean that's the basics so you can read on your free time you can get a math tutor you can always you know fix those things so i'm not really a uh, a type of uh, stickler you know on the actual education side of things right schooling wasn't even the way kids got educated in the past, kids got educated by going out and about with their parents and learning the trade that their parents were doing and being adults, acting like adults. And to me, that's lost. So all this education and the kid comes out of school, he can't even do anything. You can't trust him to flip a burger. How many times have you seen a kid come out with an engineering degree and the kid cannot even put up like a, a rod? And he's got like the highest degree in engineering from Rutgers Newark. NGIT. Wallah, I remember one time, one guy. At MBIC, we had the backdrop. So we had these rods and hooks and everything. So I said, hey, put up this backdrop, will you? I said, you're an engineer. Put it up. We put it up. That thing almost fell on my head and gave me a concussion. It broke. He didn't know how to do anything, right? What kind of engineer are you? Wallah, he went to engineering school. He didn't touch a screw in his life. He doesn't know a thing. He said, oh, that's construction. I'm an engineer. I said, don't give me nonsense. You don't know anything, right? You're useless. And that's how these kids come out. They go to all these classes that it's all theory and abstraction, okay? He never touched it, okay? He never did anything. So that's the problem. So uh, to me, there needs to be a lot more emphasis on hands-on education than on uh, mere schooling. All right, what else you got? Uh, there is always a way in for a person to get their iman back. There's always a way. You're you're never locked. You're never stuck. There's always a way to get a person's iman back, and it's simply by building it up again. It's by how did you how did you build it up? You build it up by ibadah, and we have to have a lot of ibadah. There has to be constant, nonstop ibadah in our lives and you gain it back by being around the right people. So if I would say it's fear of losing what you have, but it's also uh, not just fear, it's 
um, uh, being with the right people. Someone asked, what is the best way to, to learn how to pray five times a day? Hang out with people who pray five times a day. It's the easiest way, right? That's how it works. It's the easiest way, okay? Hang out with people who pray five times a day. This question says, Sheikh Ibrahim OCF has spoke about irrevocable wilaya. What is it then if you can lose wilaya? Maybe he, he knows something that I don't know. But from what I was taught in Aqidah, Okay. How's this? Uh, from what I was taught in uh, Aqidah, nothing is is uh, unlosable except Nubuwa. Only Nubuwa is something that can never be lost. Okay. There is a new international online academy, Muslims called Bayan Academy. My sister, she loves it. I don't know anything about it. I can't uh, say anything, but the creative end is telling us that it's something good. So you want to check it out, check it out. Do you see the same issues with Islamic education where it's just academic and not practical? Islamic education cannot just be academic. And if it is, it's useless. I mean, some people go in, I can't say useless, right? But close to useless. They go in to a school. They spend six, seven years in a madrasa, maybe eight years, four years, whatever. They learn so much but I guarantee you, come out and throw him with a bunch of brothers that you can't put two words together. The socially inept. Have you ever come upon this? He's a big sheikh now, according to his academic degree or even traditional degree. Socially inept, right? You're useless. You got to know how to talk to people. So that's why in Dar Mustafa, I don't know if they still do it now, but I know that it used to be, the shiuch would take a group of students put them in the back of a van and they would go out and they would do dawah to people. So they would force the student to get out of the book life and interact with real human beings. And that's what was good. Right. And that's why they became, they developed, they had personality. They had, they knew how to deal with people as opposed to merely just doing books, books, books and memorizing. Right. And not interacting. Now tell me something. Let's say you did eight years in us in an Islamic education, right? Then you come out and you need to be an imam in a masjid or a da'iyah or something. But you never held a regular job. You don't know how it feels like to rush out in the morning, spill your coffee, not have time to polish your shoes, right? Get in the car, right? Your kids are yelling. You drop them off at school. You run to work. By the time you get to work, you have a ring of sweat around your neck. You're miserable already. And you sit out at your desk and it's 9.05. And you're like, i got to be here until 5 p.m. And I'm already miserable. Anyone who's commuted, if you're in Chicago, you probably commuted. If you're in Virginia, you commuted. Most people commute and they take a subway, right? Or a rail of some sorts. And it's just a miserable experience. So if you never experienced that, how are you going to talk to those people? And then you got to work. And it's very hard to upkeep your iman while you're at work. You can't, by the time you get home, you're too tired to recite anything, right? Maximum, you could listen to something. You got so many responsibilities at home. You're completely exhausted and you can't keep your iman up. If you haven't lived that, and, and I lived that for a little bit of period of time, enough to, to taste it and realize, okay, this is what the quote unquote working man experiences, right? After years of PhD, all right? This is what... PhD is just reading all day 
and, and abstractions. Then I said, you know what? I didn't pick up a book for 10 years just to feel what is it like, right? And then I worked in different jobs. One in a, I worked in a hotel a little bit, in sales. I worked in an Islamic school, right? Yeah, that was Dini, but it was work too. And then I worked lecturing Arabic to people that I didn't even want to see their faces, to be honest with you, okay? Some of the students were okay. But you have to have that experience, right? If you don't have that experience, how can you talk to people? All right, the creative end says, Bayan is an online program for those who want to homeschool their kids. That's great, right? Uh, online, maybe Safina decided should do the, uh, we should do an Islamic studies for homeschoolers, right? We'd, we'd be great. Someone asked you, yep. where can one learn my online? Where you can learn your Fadadayan online is by going to myarcview.org. Okay, and you could study with us. We'll teach you Fadadayan. Go to myarcview.org, send us an email, right? And even if we have to tutor you one-on-one, -on -one, it's going to take you like a weekend, right? We got, well, Sheikh Murad will do it. Ryan will do it. I'll do it. We, we'll teach you your Fadadayan, one person at a time. How do we get formally trained madrasa teachers to strike balance between dean and contemporary issues? I think they should graduate, okay, take the cap off, put on a shirt, get a job. Go live that miserable life that deals with random people. Get a job, okay? Deal with random people for two, three years, okay? You'll be a well-rounded person, and you'll see how hard it is for a regular person to keep up Islam, right? And that's why it's so important for imams to be able to relate, but also to make programs that fit them and to establish, uh, you know, these ibadah in a group because people are too tired. People ask me, why do you guys do dhikr night in the masjid? It's because I guarantee you these guys who come, if they didn't come, they'd be sitting on the couch with their husband or wife watching TV until they fall asleep at, you know, 1130 at night, Right. When they come to the masjid, we they'll do they're gonna do an hour of dhikr that they would have never done at home. Right? And that, that's our job. Okay. This question says if you can't have people, how pray five times a day around you? Which is most people, right? You work in a hospital, you work in wherever you work, you're not gonna have uh, people who pray five times a day around you. Then you gotta hit up the masjid, you gotta be a regular at the masjid. On the way home, stop at a masjid. After dinner, go pray at a masjid at least two times a week. All right, Dean Adi says, should parents be more concerned about making sure their complaints about Islamic schools are heard or focus on a, being a better parent who doesn't complain about their kids? Being a better parent, right? I don't expect from the schools. So what's going to happen at the school? The kids might have a rough experience. That's good. That's education. Not good, like I'm happy about it, but that's part of life. I'm not sending them to school, Islamic school. To 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 make, uh, The only thing I wouldn't want them at an Islamic school is that I would expect the curriculum doesn't have, you know, some of the novels that are no good, right? I mean, I'm expecting them not to learn that from Islamic school. But are they going to learn a, some uh, uh, curses from the kids in Islamic school? Of course they are. They're not going to school with angels. They're going to school with other Muslims, right? Uh my expectation is that I, I, this idea that the school has to be 
absolutely perfect. Those types of parents, to me, I think they're, I'm not saying Dean, I know Dean for sure is not one of them because I know Dean, but he's not one of them. But a lot of these parents, no offense, but they're in La La Land. Every little prick that happens to the kid, they want a meeting. You're setting the kid up to be so soft that he doesn't know how to handle anything. And to me, that's not good. I'm not saying that there should be bullying in the school, but I'm saying that why is perfection expected there? Your home is not perfect. Why would you expect the Islamic school to be perfect? So to me, the school is what it is. Like, Ryan, you went to school. Did your parents, you went to school. You went to the local school, right? Your parents didn't complain about the school. The school is the school. Half the world goes to public school. You go to the school that you just that's next to you. All the Indian kids and the Chinese kids, they don't go to, to, to special schools. They go to the regular rat hole school that's next to their, next to their building, uh, to their home. That's it. And they go home and they study and they study and they study and they get the grades and they go to Harvard and they go run Google and Twitter now, right? But what do the Arab kids do? And I can speak for the Arabs, the Muslim kids. They go to the Islamic school and they just expect some kind of a miracle because they paid a buck. Well, the public school kids, they're not paying. They're paying taxes too, right? They're paying taxes. So because you paid a buck, you you think that everything is going to be perfect? No, not going to be perfect. So to me, my thing with them is study at home. Do good at home, right? Uh, make up for it at home. They're whining for someone else to do the job for me. And again, it's not to say that Dean was doing that because I know him and he's, he's not that type. What happens when angels die? Do their souls get removed from their form? Allah, Adam, they do die and they're resurrected too. All the angels will eventually die too. And they'll be resurrected as well. How to start studying Islam from start at age 24, 25? You take Aqidah you take class. That's the first thing to do. You got to take Aqidah class. And then you have to learn how to make to, to, to make sure your wudu and your salah is done properly. And um, we have a video on that, how to pray on Safina Society's website, uh, uh, YouTube channel. Any questions on your end so far? All right, let's hear it. So can you speak about some of the merits of Sayyidina Abu Bakr? Some of the merits of Sayyidina Abu Bakr is that he was such a pure friend of the Messenger, peace be upon him, in that his intent and his ikhlas was unquestioned and this is why the messenger وسلم, said about him that um, if the iman of the ummah is on one scale and the iman of abu bakr on the other the iman of abu bakr would outweigh it it's because Sayyidina abu bakr siddiq never once questioned the truthfulness of the prophet وسلم. Uh, every other person who entered islam they um, they judged it in their mind and then they came to a conclusion but Sayyidina Abu Bakr was so sincere to the Messenger, peace be upon him, uh, from day one. And he was the company that the Prophet loved more than any other man. In that he was easygoing, he was gentle. And yes, the Prophet loved all the Sahaba, but his love for Abu Bakr was something special. And after that, his love was of Abu Bakr's daughter, Aisha, uh, bint Abu Bakr. And she was very different from her, the personality of her father. She was fiery. Abu Bakr was so lenient, right? But Sayyid Aisha was, was, was created differently. She was fiery, and the Prophet loved that too, right? So uh, it's just the Siddiq, it's a special people. If they're truly descended from a Siddiq, that's a special lineage. 
and the only two people to stand up against Yazid were the grandson of the Prophet and the grandson of Abu Bakr. Abdullah ibn Zubair was the grandson of Abu Bakr Siddiq. Okay, another question? Yes, that's one of the longer questions. Okay. What does the Quran mean when it says it's a book without any doubt? Is it not true that only logical or mathematical statements are the only statements without a doubt? Uh, that's a good question. The answer, the meaning is there is no doubt in the truthfulness of this book. That's one meaning. And the other meaning is there is no benefit unless you approach it without doubt. If you approach this book with doubts, you won't benefit. Okay. If you approach this book with no doubt in its truthfulness, then you will find benefit. That's the meaning of that question. Or the of la raibafi. Okay. And it's a statement from Allah. There is no doubt about the truthfulness of this book. Next. Um, someone said, Is there a dura to increase willpower? Uh, to increase willpower? A dua? If you want to increase your willpower, this is what you do. Every single time that your 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 nefs tells you not to do something. Okay, uh, do it, even if a little bit. And every time your nafs tells you do something, don't do it, even a little bit. Right. So, uh, if you're, if you're, if you're, let's say you're, you you want to exercise and you're like, I don't feel like doing push-ups, do a push-up, just one. Contradict your nafs all the time. At every stage, contradict your nafs just a little bit, not too much that you get a blowback that kills you. But just a little bit contradict your nafs. That's the first thing. Second thing, a constant remembrance of the reward. We're human beings that we want to be happy in life, right? Okay, we want to be people who are happy in life. So in order to, to keep going, laziness, the cure for laziness is a little bit of greed, right? And there's a good greed. Allah says in the Quran, they call upon their Lord out of fear, and out of greed, there's a good greed. There's a good level of greed. Firstly, when you're seeking your reward from Allah. And you're seeking it in a way that's hada. And that that greed or that desire isn't knocking out another obligation or another virtue. So you're not becoming a monster in the process. So this, the, the solution to laziness is a little bit of greed. The solution of willpower is a consistent decrease of your nafs, right? Or a, co a contradiction of your ego. There was a story about a Christian in Egypt and he was causing a lot of problems because he would he was like a monk, a Zahid type. Whenever someone would pass him by or come in, he would read his mind. For example, someone would be knocking, he would call out at the door who it was and why he came, right? So the, the Muslims were getting freaked out. They're like, we thought karamas were only for awliya Muslims. So the Shiu, they said, no, there, there, there can be not karamas. We wouldn't call them karamat, but we would call them there is kharq al-ada, going against the norm. It can be done by non-believers, okay? But only of this world, only of worldly matters. So finally, one sheikh, he sat down and he knocked on and he said, tell me by Allah, you're confusing all of our people, Right? Tell me exactly what's the secret. What? How is it that you've gotten to the point that you're able to read minds? Okay, he said. 
Anytime that my nefs wants to do something, I do the opposite. And because of that, I got spiritual power. By constantly contradicting my nefs, I gained spiritual power. And through that spiritual power, he he's, he's able to sort of read minds and things like that, right? So uh, we do believe that non-believers can attain a, point, a level of spirituality where they do have what's called kharq al-ada. They break the norms. Yogis do it all the time. Uh, I was at, at GW University. Sayyid Hussein Nasser said that he saw with his own two eyes a yogi be buried alive. Buried alive. And 40 days later, they dug him out and he just walked away. And he said, now he made the mistake of thinking, oh, that means he must be upon some truth. He's not upon some truth, right? But there is the human body, the human spirit, the soul has an ability. If you if you purify it in a certain way from its desires, okay? You purify the nefs from its desires, you gain spiritual powers, but they're only spiritual powers of this world. So likewise, I could tell if an engineer studies and studies and he goes against his desires by studying and he, he sticks to studying, he invents an airplane and he's not a Muslim either, right? I mean, we spiritual power is not the only power. Material power is really important too. Okay. I mean, if you had to make a choice and you had a war and someone says, Hey, your, your, your soldiers have spiritual power. Your soldiers have nukes and machine guns. I'll take the machine guns, right? Material power and spiritual power are both worldly powers. And if you push the right buttons in life, in this world, you're going to get that power. We see now that Kuffar have that power and Yehud have that power. H Hindus in the past had Yogi powers, right? There were wizards in this world. That stuff was all real. It was spiritual power, but it's only of this world. They're not drawing upon malaika. They're not drawing upon angels. They're not drawing from the rida of Allah. They're not drawing from the pleasure of Allah. They're not bringing sakina. We don't know if they're happy by, by all this. We don't know if they're happy. Okay, We don't know. So it, spiritual power is a thing, but it's not something that is, is going to be uh, always linked to being on true belief. And most of the time, it's believers, most Muslims who die and go to heaven, they have not an inkling of material or spiritual power. So it's not a measure for us. But go look in all the books. They all tell you that, yes, there are yogis and Hindus and things like this and medicine men. They had these spiritual powers. Question? Yes. Someone asked, is there any online curriculum from basics to advanced in the deen studies? Online curriculum? You know what I'm going to promote here? is to go to myarcview.org and get in communication with us, take our free classes, and we will we will guide you step by step, right? We'll take you step by step, and, and we're conti we continue to, to, to add to our uh, curriculum, right? So that's, uh, you know, what you could study. Uh, go to myarcview.org, sign up, whether it's free classes or not. You want to email us, send us an email, and we'll guide you through it. Uh, Ryan will answer your emails and we'll we'll guide you through it step by step. Nabila says, is there a type of du'a we can make for Muslim political prisoners? What did the Muslims in the past do? Yes, there are plenty of du'a of, of uh, tafrij al-humum, which is to, or to uh, al-kurub, to uh, tafrij al-kurub, uh, fulfillment uh, or relief of tribulations. So we should, we can make those du'a in the middle of the night for these people. 
Uh, how to be more motivated to complete the last seven juz in hifs. Just recall what motivated you to remember the first, to memorize the first 23 juz. Okay. Um, it's my arc view. I'll spell it for you here. My arc view, not uh, art view. My arc view.org. And we have live and online classes constantly year round. The classes are either um, online, live, or they're pre-recorded, so people could study, and they do study year-round uh, with these classes. Next question: Is ijaza an essential, a necessity, something compulsory, or something compulsory for a teacher to have? teach fiqh or aqidah? Does it make any? One hundred percent. Yeah, fiqh and aqidah mainly. Mainly, it's fiqh and aqidah. He should have an ijaza. Yeah, and if he knows if his aqidah is right and his fiqh is right. Uh, and he has a general, he can have a general ijazah to teach and to transmit a hadith. And then read the commentary and give the commentary according to correct fiqh and aqidah. Next question. Which surah should be read after each salah? Ayatul kursi. After each salah. And there are two ayahs from Ali Imran that the Prophet ﷺ recommended that we recite. Shahidullah <laughs> anna la ilaha illa huwa wal malaikatu ulul ilm qa'iman bil qist la ilaha illa huwa al aziz al hakim al-deen indallah al-islam and then, قُلِ اللَّهُمَّ مَالِكَ الْمُلْكِ تُؤْتِ الْمُلْكَ مَنْ تَشَاءُ وَتَنْزِعُ الْمُلْكَ مِنْ مَنْ تَشَاءُ وَتُعِزُّ مَنْ تَشَاءُ وَتُذِلُّ مَنْ تَشَاءُ بِيَدِكَ الْخَيْرِ إِنَّكَ لِكُلِ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ All right, Yasin says, you know, you have a thought of who's around the corner, and then that person is actually there. Is that an angel whispering to you that thought in your head? It could be an angel. It could be a sign from Allah, subhanahu It could be purity of nafs, Allah Adam. It could be any of those things. Next question. Someone followed up saying, does reciting Surah Mulk in the Isha prayer fulfill the hadith of the Prophet Inshallah, it will. Whether you recite certain surahs that are recommended to recite it, for example, Waqiyah, whether you recite it in Salah or outside of Salah. Mulk in Salah, outside of Salah. Inshallah, you get the same reward for those. What is Istighatha? Istighatha? Too long of a topic. Yeah. But the istighatha that is completely agreed upon is istighatha on the spirit of tawassul. Okay. Tawassul is acceptable. That you ask Allah Ta'ala by offering your deeds. If your deed is that you love a certain wali of Allah or a certain person, then that's that's what you're offering. All right. Kaysfin says, you mention or talk about mustajab dawat. Now, applying what you said, so why is it that there are certain hadith around being mustajab with da'wat? You, you really want to be. You should be. You should try to be mustajab with da'wah. And if you atib mat'amak, takun mujab da'wah. Purify your food, you'll be mujab da'wah. Purify your food. That's the main thing. Uh, and istijab to da'wah is by having absolute no doubt belief that Allah Ta'ala is going to grant you what you ask for if you have doubts then you're negating it if you have doubts inside of you it's almost like having water inside of a cell phone it's not going to work right so you keep pressing the right buttons yeah you're pressing the right buttons but you yourself are messed up either your nourishment is haram or you have doubts okay those doubts are killing everything else so your phone's not going to work if there's water inside of it same thing when and how uh, did you start studying knowledge We'll bring that up, inshallah, in another uh, less, uh, talk. We'll talk about that, inshallah. Um, 
Any other final questions? Yes. Um, there's two, two yep. for advice. How can reverts be approached to adhere to the proper methodology without coming across as dogmatic? To further clarify, I see many reverts after reverting being drawn to extremist ideology. Have you warned them without pointing fingers? Sometimes you have to point fingers. Okay. Sometimes you need to tell people that certain groups stay away from them without necessarily being decisive. If you feel like, oh, that's going to be decisive, then you just need to pull them into your group until they, they start to learn the foundations of what the dean is, okay? Uh, the foundations, and then they'll start seeing that those are absent in those other groups, right? So whatever it is that is absent in that extremist group, you bring it to the, fore, to the forefront in uh in your teaching and education of these of the of a new muslim so that when they go there they'll see it by themselves but sometimes you just if it's extreme you just have to tell them that we, we don't do this right we're not going we don't go to that group uh and they have issues so sometimes you have to say it okay. all right we'll take one more question from here and one more uh from the other stream so let's go to um Someone that we hadn't gotten to yet. Uh, let's go to Omar. Omar Mufti says, Assalamu alaikum. Can you suggest a dua for children to start praying? Um, a dua for kids to start praying? Wouldn't you just tell them to go pray? Right? You, I mean, we all parents, we all make dua for our kids all the time. May Allah open their hearts to Iman. If you're talking about, maybe she's talking about a 15 or 16 year old, that's different because you can't really control them sometimes, right? Uh, but if you're talking about a little kid, you know, in the same way that you tell him to eat his salad, eat your food, go up to bed, do your homework, go make wudu and stand in the prayer line. So it just becomes a habit. So that's what I understand. Maybe they're saying something that they're already young adults, right? Uh, maybe I missed something. So, um, uh, Shahida says, what if you struggle to fight doubts when making dua? Yes, it still can be answered, but you have to fight those doubts in making dua because the Prophet commanded you to. He said, make dua while you are certain of the answer. So you really have to remove doubts. How do you remove doubts? By remembering Allah is capable. He's qadr. He created something far greater, okay, which is your life. Your, your living is far greater than whatever you're praying for. The sun is far greater than what you're praying for. The moon is far greater than what you're praying for. He created those, then whatever you're asking for can be easily created. Just because it hasn't happened yet, someone said, I've been making dua for two years. I said, Akhi, it takes four years to get a high school degree. Right? It takes four years to get a high school diploma, and those things are just a piece of paper you throw on the side. And you go to college and you lose it. Right? Four years after high school, I mean, I know some of these people here are surgeons, right? It takes 12 years to become a doctor. You're going to do four years college, four years medical, and then four years of residency. Then you might take another two years. It takes 12 years to be a doctor. Things take time. If you wanted to get a CDL to drive a truck, that might take you nine months. All right. If you if you want to be a real estate agent, that might take you from the moment that you desire to be a real estate agent and the moment that 
they make the sale of their first house might end up being two years, maybe one year. And we see these guys all the time and we don't bat an eye when we see them, but it takes two years for them to become like that. Okay. Uh, Pharaoh of NJ, you might want to change your screen name there. Pharaoh is not exactly a, a great, do I know this, this person? But you have to have sabr, right? Have sabr. It, just remember, four years to get a high school diploma, 12 years to be a doctor. So to get your prayer answered, if it's worthwhile, you wait. Okay. Uh, little kids to, for prayer, I would say pray in front of them and just tell them to, to pray. Uh, why can't you tell them to just to stand next to me and pray? You should be able to say that, stand next to me and make salah. S. Bailey Khan says, how do we purify our nafs and our heart? Must much recitation of Quran and uh, Salah on the Messenger will help you purify your heart. One more question from Ryan Sweat. Okay, we have a lot of good questions. Okay. I have to combine two of them. Yep, no problem. Um, someone asked about the yogis and everything. Is it spiritual power or using jinn? And then another person asked, speaking about spirituality, are Muslims allowed to engage in acts like yoga for health benefits? without the intention of worshiping other than Allah. All right. Is it spirituality or jinn? Allah knows best, right? Allah knows best. Who knows about that stuff? But And can we go engage in those practices, but for the health benefits like stretching and yoga? Yes. Yoga is essentially, to me, it's stretching, if you ask me, right? Uh, someone said they went to a yoga camp. I said, oh, show me what you, what you studied for like three days at this yoga camp. And they start doing, okay, do this stretch, that stretch. I was like, you're stretching right in a hot room right that's what it was so uh stretching is okay there's nothing hot on with stretching as long as you're not doing those chants etc but stretching is fine another one sure um is it possible to remove the veils in today's life is it possible that the veils can be removed in this life if we work on our spirituality as the veils will be lifted after death can you remove the veils? And the answer is yes, for sure. If a person does a lot of ibadah and avoids a lot of distractions and the haram and purifies their their food, uh, then yes, inshallah, those veils can be removed little by little. You know, if they're removed all at once, it would be a great shock. But little by little, they can be removed. All right, let's stop here. Jazakumullah khairan everyone. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr inna al-insana lafi khusr illa al-ladhina amanu wa amilu salihat wa tawasaw bil-haq wa tawasaw bil-sabr. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us and uh, we ask Allah ta'ala to um, keep, let us live and die upon Ahlul sunnah wa jama'ah and let our all of our ad'iyah and our du'as be answered in goodness and in gentleness and in protection and with zuhd in the dunya and with the what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we ask Allah ta'ala to let us never be led astray by shayateen al-ins or jinn and may Allah guide our children and our offspring uh, until yawm al-qiyamah we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep away the wealth that is haram from entering in our stomachs and into our bank accounts we ask Allah to keep poverty away from us and away from everyone on these streams and their families. We ask Allah to keep misguidance uh, and ignorance and jahl and bad friends and temptations away from us. Lastly, we ask Allah that He make none more beloved to us than His most beloved Sayyid al Kunain, Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa
اكتب باب الرجاء والناس قد رفضوا وبت اشكو الى مولاي ما اجد طرقت باب الرجاء والناس قد رفضوا وبت اشكو الى مولاي ما اجد وقلت يا املي في كل نائبه ومن عليه لكاش في الضر اعتمد اشكو اليك امورا انت تعرفها ملي على حملها صبر ولا جلد أشكو إليك أمورا أنت تعرفها ملي على حملها صبر ولا جلد وقد مددت يدي من كل واقفة مدت إليه يدك فلا تردنها يا رب خائبة فبحر جودك يا روي كل من يرد